Oftentimes, it's better to start with creativity to help you learn the facts. Life is too short to learn a, a list of a thousand rando words. From the campus of Stanford University, this is Schools In with your hosts, Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. Welcome to Schools In. I'm Denise Pope, Senior Lecturer with the Graduate School of Education here at Stanford. And I'm with my co-host, Dan Schwartz, Dean of the Graduate School of Education. And I should say we are coming to you from our homes because we are practicing social distancing during COVID-19. So Dan, myself, and our guests are all going to be uh, zooming in from our homes instead of live together in the studio. Denise, hashtag no more tests, Pope. Ooh, I get a hashtag this time. You do, time. you do. I, I'm surprised you, you haven't started your own uh, Twittering on this. I know, I should, right? I should. Right. No, you're not a big fan of the, the high stakes tests. I am not a big fan of high stakes tests. I am not. So, so the, it seems to me in the inventions of humankind, we have fire, uh, we have the wheel, <laughs> and we have the standardized test. Oh my, you're holding it up there with fire and the wheel? I, I don't know who invented this thing, but it is in <laughs> every school around the world, the standardized yep. test. Yes. And, and I, I don't know. I actually don't know. Like, did it start in Britain? Seems like a British. I love I love Britain, but it, you know it seems like a, a, a testing for young British men, and that's mm. where it got started. Mm, interesting. You don't know. You don't I don't know. know exactly where it got started. I know different people who have come up with the concepts, right, of standardized tests and validity and all of that. Um, uh, how to make a good test? No, right? that's not the same. This is like yep. the, the tests are like Scotch tape. I mean, everybody yep. toothpaste. It's up there. It right. is adopted around the world. Right. But, but this is the thing that I want you to think about. If you think about taking a test in the real world, outside of school, it's very, very rare. And I want you to just humor me for a second. If, if at your workplace, someone came up to you and said, tomorrow, you have to take a test and you can't use any of the resources that you're used to using. You can't use a computer. You can't ask your friends or talk to your colleagues. It's going to be timed. This is how we're going to determine if you're doing your job well or not. By the way, you don't know what's on it. And I, as your boss, will be the sole assessor of that test. And your next big, you know, raise depends on it. Oh, just keep piling on. Say, I, say I, if I do badly, I won't get into heaven. Just keep it coming. Yeah, but like, think about that. It's, it's almost never happens outside of a school. There's the, the DMV. When, when I do this in front of audiences, people say, well, what about the driver's test? Let me tell you about the driver's test. We want people to learn how to drive so badly in this country that you take that test until you actually get it right, until you pass. Wait, wait, wait. I, I, why is that bad? No, I, that's, I want that's good. That's good. And that is not what happens in school. Oh, because you don't get to take the test again. In many cases, you don't get to take the test again, or the stakes are so high that you have to, the stakes are so high that you have to um, sort people based on how they do. And you don't want everybody to do well and pass the test. So uh, you're so dark. <laughs> so, okay, here's something a little bit no, lighter. Let no, me no, no, no. David Lavery, who's a historian, sort of talked about as soon as they made tests, they made winners and losers. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and let me tell you another thing. I'm going to quiz you. I get to quiz you. It's been so long, Dan. And is this determining whether I'll get a pay raise? Yeah, or, and also get, get into heaven. This is determining yes, whether yes. you're getting into heaven. Okay, what is the Latin root 
of the word assessment? A-S-S. Okay. Um, <laughs> ass is not a Latin word last time I checked. Life and death decision. Mm. Actually, it comes from the Latin word ossidere, and ossidere means to sit beside. So I, I love this, right? When I heard this, I got so excited because what you really want to do when you're assessing is sit beside someone and find out what they know and what they don't know and help them get to a place of knowing. That is the point of assessment, ossidere, to sit beside. It doesn't mean gotcha. It doesn't mean life or death. This is, determines your future life worth or where you're going to go to college or et cetera. So I just, I love that. Uh, that's really good. Uh, so we're not sitting beside each other. Uh, we're <laughs> we're you're, socially you're, distancing. Well, well, you're assessing me online. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's an adequate assessment online. I think it's better if you're sitting next to me. Ah, and we're going to talk about that today. Sort of how yeah. how we can figure out how to do assessments um, that normally happen person to person in real life in schools. How we can figure out how to do some of that online. So I thought my segue was very clever uh, to bring us to the. The COVID era of assessment, lots of faculty at Stanford are very concerned. Can they uh, still deliver the big tests for the big studies? I think lots of teachers working with their kids in the K-12 setting kind of uh, are having to adapt. So this may be a great moment in time when you, your dream of getting rid of tests could, could become a reality. Mm, and, exciting. And so uh, we have brought on a guest who's an expert in assessment. This is Maria Araceli Ruiz Primo. She is a professor at Stanford's Graduate School of Education. She runs the Laboratory of Education Assessment Research and Innovation, which turns into the lovely acronym called LEARN. So uh, welcome, Maria. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dennis, for inviting me. And Dan, you said she works on something called formative assessment. Yes, so there's lots of different kinds of assessments, uh, and they're often overlapping. So there's like high-stakes High stakes tests, you know, SAT, the ones you were talking about. Is it, are you going to get into college? That, uh, they're called a, high stakes because the stakes are high as to how you do. It will determine some kind of big decision. Is that the Latin root of high stakes? It's got to it, be. It's got to so, be. So there are other kinds of tests, uh, summative, like uh, at the end of your semester of physics, you take a summative test and it's going to determine your grade. Uh, Maria is an expert on formative assessment. So, Maria, would you just tell us what, what that is? Um, formative assessment is, is the opposite of, the, of what you were talking about in, in large-scale assessment. Large-scale assessment um, is not as much interested at the individual level most of the time. It is at the aggregate level. And formative assessment is trying to actually uh, gather information and help students to move um, forward in their learning. And um, there is a very specific mechanism that most of the people think about it when they talk about formative assessment, which is feedback, which is something that rarely happens in, in large-scale assessment because those are for accountability purposes. But here we are talking really about assessment for improvement for improvement of students' learning and understanding. So the feed, when you say feedback, that gets closer to my definition of assessment, which is to sit beside. 
Dan, were you going to say something? Uh, I'm not going to, to challenge you on your Latin. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, I, so I generally think of formative assessment as feedback to the teacher so the teacher can make instructional decision-making. If the feedback is coming directly to the student, say it's a computer program that's providing feedback and suggesting they try different things, would that also be called formative? Uh, yes, I think that goes both ways. You are uh, gathering information from the students, and that tells you about what is where you can support them. But when you see that that is happening, at the same time, you are uh, getting feedback because you know that maybe some part of the unit that you actually don't know uh, what went wrong and what they are understanding. So you need to reflect on, on what you did and how you can improve your practices. So for me, Formative uh, feedback is not only from the teacher to the students, but also from the students to the teacher. And how can you improve your instructional practices? So uh, it is my hypothesis that one of the hardest things about switching to online learning is that uh, the teacher just doesn't get as much feedback. I think Denise disagrees with me, disagrees with me. I think she thinks there will be a situation in which online gets you more feedback. But when I taught classes, you know, and there's 20 tiles on the screen, I can't feel the room. It's, I can't see people's faces. I'm missing all those cues. And so on the online, I don't actually know how well it works. This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We are talking with Maria Ruiz Primo, who is an assessment expert. First, I want to ask Maria, what, what, what do you think of, of Dan's hypothesis that when you're doing online, particularly with a bunch of um, uh, students' pictures on the Zoom screen, it's harder to assess? Yeah, I, I think that the, potentially for me, the one thing that you are missing when you are in Zoom is direct observation of how students are actually working. You may not see a lot of the body language, which tells you a lot about what is happening. I agree in that sense with, with Dan. But on the other hand, I, I found myself right now doing this also in, in my courses, that you can also um, say something from the faces. And there are also other sources that you can use to gather that information you know, from uh, presenting the students questions, from, um, you know, asking them to ask questions, because actually the, the students' questions can be a source of information whether they are understanding or not. So I think that the term assessment is becoming too much uh, linked to, to particular tools, tests, and, and there are other modes that may be discursive, you know, interactions with, with um teacher and students, and the usual, much more formal. So I see actually this as an opportunity for teachers to engage in more social interaction with, with all the students. Seeing all the students in your screen, if you can, if you, if you uh, don't have 80 students, it really allows you to, to make sure who is, you know, raising their hand and who you need to bring to the conversation. So I think that that is a, something that um, is, 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 is not necessarily lost, but you cannot observe. And to me, direct observation is really a very, very good source of of information. Right. So, so there, you're not, you're not assessing with some instrument like a test. You're just watching how students interact and what they say. 
Yes, I, I, love, I love your point that uh, have students ask you questions, but that's really going to reveal a lot about where their heads at. It's a, it's a great idea. Absolutely. Elliot Eisner, one of my favorite quotes from Elliot, and you know I quote Elliot all the time on Schools In, is you can judge a person's understanding better by the quality of the questions they ask than the answers they give you on your assessments. So I completely agree. Um, and I think uh, you have to get a little bit more creative online, but I'd really like to see, and I, I, I'm sure um, we can go over some ideas together, uh, Maria, about getting creative online, about um, really when we get back together in the classroom, I think this period of time where people have to be creative when it comes to assessments is going to make their classroom assessment teaching better when they're face-to-face -face again. I think that this is a great opportunity for teachers to reflect on, on things that potentially they don't have time on the everyday basis. For example, this is an excellent time to refocus what matters, what really, really matters. You know, right now the implementation of the curriculum is kind of messy, so they can focus really on what is the knowledge, the skills that they want the students to learn before they go to the next grade. And, and doing that will help them to figure out what are the most critical junctures in which they want to administer more formal assessment, which you can online, you know, sending uh, questions to the students using poll. But you can also figure out uh, the, the type of questions that, that you want uh, to ask them and what type of in interactions. There is something that um, I, I feel if it could happen much more, teachers will be providing much more feedback, and that is anticipation. I think that right now is a good time for teachers to uh, present a task to the student and then figure out what are all the possible ways in which students can go wrong and right. And I observe that, you know, in, in my research that when teachers can anticipate, you know, the, the potential ways in which something can be wrong, they can provide feedback much more in a much more effective way, more rapidly uh, to more students. And, and I think that in Zoom, you can, you can actually do that, you know, with the, with the questions, if, if there is a possibility for they to ask questions, you know, typing. Um, so it is, it is a time that is, can be a natural experiment, if you wish, if, if we can help teachers to improve their, their understanding about what assessment, formative assessment is about and how much they can help their students. This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We are talking with Maria Ruiz Primo about assessments and, and particularly how teachers can do it online. And, and I heard some nice suggestions there about having kids ask questions. You can do that in the chat room. Um, you can also really think about the way you, you every day uh, assess kids in the classroom and figure out ways to get it to work in a Zoom platform or a virtual platform. We've had kids write their answers down on pieces of paper and just hold it up to the camera. Camera, right. Just show mm -hmm. us. Um, so that's a that's a beautiful thing. Um, and then there's other some 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 fun, creative games that I know teachers have been playing. There's there's a fun one, which is which of these answers is the wrong answer and why. And um, it really gets kids to think. Right. So instead of giving your typical test or quiz, you might ask that as an assessment and then have them type their answers. Or we, there's another one called truth or snare where you um, are trying to figure out, you know, what's the what's 
they get to figure out what's the right answer and show you that they know and understand it. But it's not done in a timed, high-stakes test kind of capacity where people are worried about cheating. Let, let me uh, play the devil's advocate. The, the, these uh, incidental measures where you bump into something and some kids talk, some don't, uh, they're going to get you a lot of information. Not going to make it very easy to grade, right? Because grading is individual accountability. And, and so everything you're talking about, what do I care? I just care about giving the right grade to the kid. So, so Stanford has gone pass-fail for this quarter because there's a concern that the faculty will not be able to grade the students accurately. And there's also a concern that the students, because they're going to be in very difficult circumstances, may have less opportunities to learn for the class. But, but that concern that, uh, you know, how do, I, how do I assign a grade? everything's accountability to I don't think that grades and formative assessments should go together. Uh, I think that once you, you start thinking about grades, then people focus on the grades and not on the learning. And formative assessment is all about learning. And I think that this is a good opportunity because, you know, who knows what will happen with the schools, but potentially they can go just like Stanford, pass, not pass. So it's a good opportunity to, to try to help students to understand and to infuse um, you know, more more self-regulation and, you know, by designing tasks that, that can allow them to, to be more autonomous and, and that they can uh, express the most important thing for me is that they can express what they are really thinking. You so know, let me counter one more time. Uh, my son really likes spelling tests and, right, which is sort of the, the worst right-wrong realm in the world. He's a it, freak. <laughs> he liked, no, he liked them because he knew what the standard of excellence was and yeah. he knew how far away he was from that excellence. And so having that, that very crisp signal was appealing to him. It is interesting. I think that, um, you know, if, if we start thinking about uh, giving the students more autonomy to decide how they want to show whether they are understanding. If your son decides that spelling is something that it will be good for him to show what type of understanding then I think that that is good because for me, learning and understanding is about really being able to use in a very flexible way what you have learned, you know, apply and use what you have learned. And and that I think is, is something that, you know, if in his case, that's what he wants, then, then it's good. You're very permissive, Maria. You're a permissive parent. This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We will have more with Maria Ruiz Primo um, talking about assessment and grading, particularly online in the time of COVID-19, next on SiriusXM. You're listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. So it is hard to predict what the future will be. The focus is really on academics. From the campus of Stanford University. Welcome back to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are talking today with Maria Ruiz Primo about assessment. And uh, Maria, there's so many misconceptions about what assessment is. I think so many people, um, teachers, parents, students, think of assessment as only tests. And I know that you were going to walk us through other ways to think about that. So help us help us see that differently. I think that that assessment is is a, a gathering information in many different ways. And one of, of those is, um, you know, in, in any social interaction, you can 
observe a person with no verbals and you can actually make inferences about whether they are understanding you or not. That is assessment, that is gathering information and you react to that information by rephrasing your question or doing something else. Um, there is another type of assessment which, which is the, the one that, that we hope teachers can use a lot in the classroom, which is through um, discourse with the students, you know, by bouncing uh, questions and the responses and you keep asking questions, you, you can have a sense of whether students are understanding or not, which it seems to me that teachers are not considered bad as assessment and yes, it's gathering information and reacting to what the students are saying. But the final is unfortunately the one that everybody focuses on, which is uh, more a looking at, at a permanent a record of, of a student's performance, either a test or, or a quiz. But even if I go in that direction, there are many other possibilities that teachers can use as also information, the student's journals, the exit tickets, um, the, any activity that they have in the classroom, is actually a source of information, should be a source of information for students, to for teachers to, to know where students are and how can they react. So I, I just wish that they could expand the idea of what assessment is. And assessment should require different sources of information in order to make a judgment about the student's level of understanding, just with the purpose of helping them to improve their learning. Just for that, not for grading purposes, I could say. Well, and I think even for grading purposes, I mean, I'm with you. Believe me, if we could get rid of grades, I think um, more people would be better off. I think the stress would go down. Um, I think the learning would go up. But given that we're stuck with grades um, for, for the time being, I think you're absolutely right that there you can use many different ways to get to, get to that grade of record. And um, you gave a great analogy with the medical profession and how they do clinical assessment. Can you walk us through that? In any, when we go to the doctor, there are many different tests that we take in order for the doctor to arrive to a diagnostic situation. You know, you, you have this or you have that, or it seems potentially that you have this, and we will do more of that. But it, the same thing happened in clinical psychology. You, when you go to the psychologist, most of the time they give you different types of tests, and, and all that information is used in order to make a, a, a diagnostic um, situation with you and I think that that we just forgot about that um, and a great professor at GSE a Cronbach always a, in in some of the writings try to remind us that assessment requires these different sources of information and test is just one single sample of of all the possibilities that that we could have yeah, in fact, one of my favorite things to say to teachers is a snapshot versus a photo album. And if you think of a test, it's one point in time. You don't know if the kid had breakfast that morning. You don't know if they were even ready to take the test. You don't know what happened before they walked in the door. That's a snapshot of their knowledge. But to really figure out what they know, you want to gather a photo album. Um, and that's lots of different pieces of information, just like the doctor, just like the clinician that you mentioned, in order to get the right diagnosis, um, and maybe that's the more accurate grade of record. So, Denise, do, do you know that I wrote a book that excoriates assessment? Dan, that makes me like you even more. Yeah, no. Uh, my argument is largely that uh, 
Some assessments are focusing on mastery. Uh, and that makes sense. You want the person who's driving the car to have mastery. But in the K-12 space, mastery is sort of not the right concept because we want them to leave school and be able to learn. And so what we really need are assessments of students' abilities to learn. If you were teaching the test and the test was how well do you learn, then it'd be okay to teach the test. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope, and we're speaking with Maria Ruiz Primo about assessment. And I know, Maria, you want to comment on what was just said. Yeah, I, I want to respond to them. I think that a good assessment task, a good rich assessment task, can also lead you uh, to, to develop strategies that, that can be metacognitive and can help you to learn. We just don't do that no, because so, it's difficult. No, we so, don't. We don't. So I do something in all my classes where on their final, and I do give a final, uh, I put in a bunch of things where they actually have to learn. I haven't taught them. And the hope is in the process, I've taught them well enough that they'll be able to learn as they go forward, right? And so a good assessment allows you to learn as part of the test. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, so let, me, let me ask a question that we all get to answer. So when, when you're making an assessment, what's the first thing you think about? What's number one? Denise, what's the first number thing? Number one if you're, is... If you're going to go make an assessment of some sort, What's the number one thing you think about? What is it that I want them to know and show me that they know, right? What are the goals? What are the outcomes? What's, what's the learning outcomes? I so knew you were going to say that. And Maria gets the answer too. Yes. No, I would say that. And then immediately after that is what evidence do I need for them to show in order to make the conclusion that, that they actually learn. I 100% agree. Maria and I are in 100% agreement. Dan? Which which means I have to play devil's advocate. So Yeah, uh, go for it. So the first question I would ask is, who is the feedback going to? So uh, a lot of assessments, like the standardized tests that kids take, those are designed for the information to flow back to policymakers, not to teachers or students, right? Uh, If I'm making an assessment where the information is supposed to go to the colleges to make decisions, about admissions, then I design something different. If I'm making an assessment where the information's meant to help me make instructional decisions, I would design it very differently in every every one of those situations. So who's the feedback going to? Yeah, the, depending on, on, on which context you are talking about. And I think that you went from accountability, uh, which is uh, at a large scale with very different purposes than if you are, if you constrain the assessment in the classroom. It's, so, classroom assessment is, is, is different. So, Denise, and, do you think I have the better first question than you do? No, I still agree with Maria. We were in the context of a K-12 classroom. You switched the unit of analysis on us, Dan. I always think about purpose and audience together. That This is yeah. like rule number one. You have to. But we were in the context of K-12, my friend. I think when a lot of people make assessments for children, they're not clear on who the information is supposed to go to. I think that designing good tasks, rich assessment tasks, will help students to struggle, which which will learn from the assessment, from taking the assessment. So it's, it's, a, it's a struggle, but it's a good struggle. Thank you so much for coming. There will be a test at the back of this assessment on the six different words we used that are new. Thank you all. <laughs> thank you, Maria. And thank you all for listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. If you missed any of this episode, listen anytime on demand with the SiriusXM app on iTunes and SoundCloud. 
from the campus of Stanford University, this has been Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope on Sirius XM Business Radio. If you missed any of it, listen on demand, online, or with the Sirius XM app.